so much for uh, having me and my family here this week. Thank you for the wonderful food that we uh, enjoyed a little while ago. Um, I'll tell you, not to bring the thunder tonight. <laughs> I wanted to say thank you for the food that uh, you all um, have prepared tonight. If you'll notice, uh, I'm, I don't have my button button tonight. That's for the safety of everyone. <laughs> want us to make sure that we all go home with both eyes tonight. Uh, my belly is full and uh, my heart is full as well. And I hope uh, tonight through the preaching of God's word that your uh, heart will be filled as well. Um, it was mentioned earlier that I am from Mount Airy, um, North Carolina. And, um, you know, a lot of people want to know about what it's like to live in Mayberry. And growing up there, you know, I was born and raised there, spent 19 years there. And it's just kind of like anything else, you know, you, you just, that's home and that's what it is. Uh, but anywhere that I go, people want to know, you know, did, did you ever get to see Andy Griffith? You know, did uh, you run into him there on the streets and that kind of thing? And interestingly enough, uh, in my 19 years of being there, uh, Andy Griffith never came back to Mayberry except one time, and the reason for that, it was in the late 90s, they had uh, an amphitheater that was built, and it was in his memory and some other uh, people's memory, and uh, it, it, they didn't know if he was going to show up or not, but uh, kind of last minute, he decided to, to show up, and not many people knew that he was going to be there, but for those who did know that he was going to be there, they made sure to, to camp out near the amphitheater so that when he came, they would be in the right position uh, in order to see him, to talk to him, uh, and to, to say that, hey, I saw Andy Griffith when he came to Mount Airy. Well, I missed out on that because I didn't know that he was coming. My parents uh, uh, did not tell us that uh, he was coming, uh, but I missed out on it because I, I didn't hear ahead of time that he was going to be there, and uh, therefore I wasn't in, in the right position uh, to see him. And as I think about this revival theme uh, throughout these next few days, what we're talking about is positioning ourselves to experience the reviving work of the Holy Spirit of God. And tonight what we're doing is, is we're saying that revival is a work of, of God. It's not something that we can muster up. It's only something that God can do. And we don't know when the, the wind of the Holy Spirit might blow upon us, but what we do want to do is to make sure that we are in the right position so that if He comes to pour out His Spirit in uh, an extra measure, that we are there and prepared to experience it as His people. This morning we talked about from John chapter 1 that one of the ways that we can position ourselves to experience the reviving work of the Spirit of God is by simply being in a state of having turned to Jesus. And tonight we want to look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. And I want to preach a sermon to you tonight about positioning ourselves for revival through prayer. And through prayer, experiencing resurrection power. That's what we find here in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And what I like to do when uh, I preach the Word and, and have the opportunity to read the text, if you're able tonight, and if you found your place there in God's Word, would you please stand with me in reverence for the reading of God's precious Word. Ephesians chapter 1, these are the words of the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul has begun his letter to the Christians at Ephesus by praising God for all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus if we are truly trusting in Him. And here in verse 15, we begin to see Paul pray that God would make known these truths to our hearts. And that's where we begin tonight in verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 1, where the Word of God says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. And God, we pray as Paul did so long ago that You would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we might know You in a powerful way, in a personal way, in an intimate way tonight. God, I'm praying that Your Holy Spirit would reach down into our hearts tonight and draw us into a deeper devotion to prayer to You so that we might access, that we might, yes, Lord, take advantage of the power that's available to us, power over sin and power over Satan. God, I pray tonight that every single person in this place, in these moments, Lord, would devote their full attention to Your Word. And God, tonight, that You would speak to us and that we would respond in the way that You call us to. I pray, Lord, you fill me with your spirit and have your will and your way among us. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. And together, God's people said, Amen. 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 You can be seated. Well, it's a sad reality, but it's a reality nevertheless that sometimes we don't appreciate or acknowledge those who are closest to us. It's a sad reality, but it is nevertheless a reality that sometimes we don't acknowledge or appreciate those who are closest to us in our lives. Uh, maybe there are people in your life right now that uh, you've taken advantage of, maybe you've taken for granted, maybe they've been there to help you, to give you what you need, and yet they're there every day and and you, even though see them there, you do not acknowledge them in the way you should or you do not appreciate them as much as you should. 
I'm talking about maybe parents who love us well. Spouses who live with us. Children and grandchildren that help us. Friends who would wake up in the middle of the night when we are troubled just to come find out what's wrong with us and how they can help. People that are always aiding us and helping us and present there for us and yet we do not acknowledge them or shower appreciation upon them like we ought to. You know people like that? Maybe that's your experience. Maybe right now God is, is showing you that, that maybe you do that in your own life. Well, even though we, we are prone to do that in our own lives, I think in a much more serious way, we often do that with God Himself. That God has, has given us Himself and given us access into His presence and has given us an immeasurable amount of power and strength and might and that strength and power and might is right at our fingertips and yet we do not avail ourselves of that power. Uh, it's there. God is there. He's present. He's helping us. And yet we do not take Him up on His promises about the power that He has available to us. The Apostle Paul knew this, that we were prone to, even though know about God and know uh, all that He has done for us in Jesus Christ, he knew that even though we had that knowledge, it is very much possible for us to, to not do anything with it. And so that's why he prays here for these Ephesian Christians. Uh, they, he's just explained all of the spiritual blessings that uh, are ours in Christ Jesus. Uh, in fact, in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says that uh, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places belongs to us. Uh, the fact that God chose us and made us blameless in Christ. He adopted us into His family. He redeemed us. He forgave us. He lavished His grace upon us. He made known to us His will. He's given us an inheritance. All of these things that God has given us. And yet Paul knows that these people are prone to forget. So what does he do? He prays. Right out of the gate in verse 15, he says there, uh, since he's heard of their faith and, and their love, he doesn't cease to give thanks for them, remembering them in his prayers, and here it is in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, in verse 18, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we may know what is the hope to which He has called us? What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And then the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us. Paul is asking God that God would enlighten our darkened hearts to know what is available to us. Specifically, He wants us to know God's hope for us and then God's inheritance in us. And then the last thing that He wants us to know is there in verses 19 through 23, and that's what we want to focus on tonight. The power of God that is available to us. Now here's the thing before we jump into this. When Paul prays there in verse 18 that we might know these things, he doesn't say that we might know about them. There's a difference between knowing about God 
and actually knowing God. There's a difference between knowing some, some information, some cold facts about God, and actual, actually intimately and personally and powerfully knowing this God who has saved us. Paul wants the believers to have that intimate, powerful knowledge of God. We'll put it like this. It's, it's one thing to have a, a, a car, a muscle car, uh, Ford of course, and, uh, and, and to know that the, the speedometer says that that car will go 200 miles per hour. Right? It's one thing to know that, but it's a completely different thing to get in that car and feel how fast that thing can go. On a drag strip, right? Not, not down these back roads here. It's, there's a difference, right? I can tell you all day about a, an engine and, and the way a car is made and, and how fast the thing registers, but it's completely different for me to get in it and experience that car, experience that speed uh, that it can actually do. Another way we can say this is that it's one thing to, to know that maybe a, a rich family member dies and leaves you a million dollars in your bank account. It's one thing to know about that. It's a completely different thing to tap into that money and, and, and to actually experience uh, that money that was left to you from your relative that had riches. And in the same way, it's possible for us to even gather here on a weekly basis and know a lot about God, but not actually experience God, not actually know Him in a powerful and intimate way. And so Paul is praying here, God, don't let these Christians in Ephesus merely know about you. Oh God, that they would know you. So what is it that... That we want to know what is it that, that we should be praying that we know in an intimate way. Well, like we said there, Paul says that he's praying that they would know God's hope for us, God's inheritance in us. But the one we want to focus on tonight as we position ourselves for revival is God's power toward us there in verses 19 through 23. Tonight I, I want us to raise three questions and let the text answer these questions for us. Let me give you these three questions up front here, and then we'll use them to walk through this passage together. Number one, concerning this power that Paul speaks of, beginning in verse 19, uh, why do we need this power? Why, do we, why is it necessary that we know this power? Number two, what is this power that's available to us? And then number three, how can we experience this power? So those three questions we want to raise tonight. Why do we need this power? What is this power? And how can we experience this power? And what I'm asking God to do tonight is to help us to understand and to truly believe the amount of power that's available to us from God and how we can access it through prayer. And tonight, if we will do that, we can put ourselves in a position to experience the life-giving power of Jesus Christ in our lives. So number one, the first question we want to ask and, and let the text answer for us tonight is, why do we need this power? I mean, think about what he says there in verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. 
Why is it that we, sinful people, who nevertheless are saved, why do we need this power? There's three reasons that we can think of from the whole of the book of that, uh, uh, Ephesians. Number one, we need this power to be saved. The, the book of Ephesians teaches us about our condition before we come to faith in Christ. In fact, if you drop down just to the next chapter there in verses 1 through 3, Paul tells us about our helpless and hopeless condition as a lost person. He says there in chapter 2 verse 1, speaking to Christians about their condition before they were saved, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children destined for wrath like the rest of mankind. Boy, that's bad news. That's terrible news. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I don't mean to be funny with this question, but what can a dead person do? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing about its, their condition. And Paul says here that we were not physically dead, but we were spiritually dead. Walking spiritual dead people who followed the world and the flesh and the devil. And so the only way that we can be saved from uh, that eternal destination that he says we were all headed toward, we were by nature children destined for wrath, is by the power of God. And that's what we find in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we need the power of God revealing the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, to be saved. But there's a second reason we need this immeasurable, immeasurably great power and that is, once we are raised from the deadness of our sins to be saved, now we need it to overcome our sin in our daily lives. If you read the rest of the book of Ephesians, you'll find, beginning in chapter 4, in chapters 4, 5, and 6, those chapters are really all about how this power that is available to us uh, is able to help us overcome our sinful tendencies. Uh, there in chapter 4, we need this power to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That is the call of salvation. That is uh, having this power to overcome the fleshly tendencies that we have, like falsehood and anger and thievery and speaking corrupt words and uh, bitterness and clamor and slander and malice and unforgiveness. There's no way that we'll be able to overcome these things unless we have the power of God. Uh, there in chapter 5, in order to, to, to be a, a faithful husband or a faithful wife, we must have the power of God that's available to us. There in chapter 6, if you're a child here tonight, uh, you need the power of God to obey your parents. If you're a parent here tonight there in chapter 6, you need the power of God to be a faithful father or a faithful mother. We find there in chapter 6 as well, verses 5 through 9, that we need the power of God in our work life or our social life. 
And so we need the power of God not only to be saved, but once we are saved, to enable us to overcome our fleshly sinful temptations and tendencies. So we need the power of God to be saved. We need the power of God over present sin. But there's a third and final reason that we need this power. And that's what we find at the end of chapter 6. And that is we need this power to overcome Satan. Not a lot of people like to to come to, to reckon with this, but it's the truth, brothers and sisters. You have an enemy. And he's the devil. And he and his fallen demonic posse is after you. You have a target on your back if you bear the name of Christ. And all of the fallen angels following after the prince of the power of the air are coming after you to attack you. That's what we find in chapter 6. In verses 10 through 13, Paul has to tell them, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Verse 12 of chapter 6, Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Friend, you can't do battle with the devil in your own strength. You can't do battle with your sin in your own strength. You cannot be the husband that God wants you to be in your own strength. You can't be the parent, the wife, the faithful church member, the brother or sister that God is calling you to be in the own strength of your flesh. We need the power of God. So why do we need this power? We need it to be saved. We need it to overcome our sin. And we need it to do battle with Satan. So this is why we need this power. That's the first question. But there's another question that we need to ask of this text back in chapter 1. And that is, what is this power that we are talking about? And brothers and sisters, get ready because this power should blow your socks off. Notice what he says there in verses 19 through 23. This power is the the kind of power that, that was evident in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice again there in verses 19 and 20. He says he wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Have you thought about that? We're getting ready to celebrate Easter in one week from now. And you see, we've got to be careful that we don't fall into this trap of celebrating the resurrection as some distant story that happened 2,000 years ago that doesn't have any significance for us in the here and now. Uh, That's our problem when we celebrate the resurrection just one time a year. We think, well, that's what Jesus did. He he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And maybe one day when we die and and pass out of this life, we'll get to experience that eternal life. That's true, but that's not all the truth. This passage is telling us here that the power that was at work in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the same power that is at work in in you if you are a believer in Christ. Amen. What did it take to raise the dead body of Jesus from the grave? It took the infinite power and strength of the Spirit of God Almighty. And Paul says that power 
is at work in you. That power is at work toward you. So this power is power in His resurrection. But that's not the only thing about this power. Verse 20 continues to tell us that there, this is the, also the power of His ascension. Not only is it the power that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, but it's the power that He worked in Him when He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. So you think about resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning, and then you think about ascension of Jesus to sit at the right hand of the Father with all authority and all power given to Him. Paul says that power is at work toward you. It is available for you. So it is power in His resurrection. It is power in His ascension, but Paul's not finished it's also power in His eternal exaltation. Notice what He says there in verses 21 through 23. Not only is Christ seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places, but He is also seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's speaking of being exalted in power over Satan and, and fallen angels, demons. Uh, they are under His rule now. They are under His reign. He is the one who has power and authority over them. He is seated at the right hand of God far above them, but He is also there at the right hand of God far above Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He is the one who has all things under His feet. And He is the head in authority over the church. But think there for a moment with me how Paul says that Jesus is exalted far above Every name that is named, not only 2,000 years ago, not only today, but for all of time, Jesus' name, the name of the one who is risen in power, is above every name that is named. So think about this, brothers and sisters. The power that's available to us is the power of the one whose name is above every politician. The name that is above every king, every dictator, and every prime minister. The name that is above every social media icon and every musical artist. His is the name that is above every professional athlete and every billionaire and every CEO and every Fortune 500 owner. His name is above every college and every university. His name is above the Supreme Court and His name is above every member of Congress. He is risen, ascended, exalted, and His name is Jesus. And this Jesus has given us His power. The power that is above every name. Above the name of Trump and Pence. Above the name of Obama and Biden and Bush and Cheney and Clinton and Gore. His name is above Ryan and Pelosi and McConnell and Schumer. His name is above Governor Cooper and every state legislator and every U.S. Senator and every representative and every Supreme Court Justice. His name is above every mayor and every county commissioner. His name is above every sheriff and every chief of police. His name is above Hitler, Stalin, Bin Laden, and Hussein. His name is above Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin and Bashar al-Assad. His name, the name of the one whose power is available to us, is above the name of Muhammad, Buddha, Gandhi, and Confucius. His name is above Pope Francis and Mother Teresa and Queen Elizabeth. His name is above Bill Gates 
and Steve Jobs and Mike or Mark Zuckerberg. His name is above Darwin and Einstein and Plato and Aristotle. His name is above Da Vinci, Van Gogh and Picasso. His name is above Cruz, Ellen and Oprah. His name is above Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan. His name is above Earnhardt, Petty, Gordon, Bush and Johnson. His name is above Redbud. His name is above Franklin County. His name is above your name and my name and this church's name and every name. And this one whose name is above all has power that is available to you and to me. Amen. Amen. The question is, why are we accessing it? When we talk about Jesus raised from the dead, this is the one we're talking about. Amen. The one who can give us victory over our sin. The one who can give us victory in our suffering. The one who can give us conquering power over Satan himself. What is this power? It's immeasurable. Power in His resurrection. Power in His ascension. Power in His exaltation. Friends, the only question is, how do we get this power? If this is the power that's available to me, how do I get in on it? How do I get this power? Now listen to me. It's very profound. I want you to come in real close. Through prayer. Through prayer. That's not profound. In fact, the profound thing, the puzzling thing, the confusing thing is, why would we not avail ourselves of this power? Why would, we, why would we be content to merely know about this power, but to not do anything with this power? That's what's puzzling. That's what's confusing. That's what's profound. No wonder the church in America experiences so little victory over sin. And no wonder the church in America experiences so little victory in spiritual warfare. No wonder, no wonder we don't experience this power when we're not giving ourselves to prayer. Now let me be very clear here. The prayer that Paul is talking about here, he's not talking about praying about people in the hospital and praying about people who are sick. Now hear me out, that's very important for us to do. We should be praying for anything and everything at all times. But brothers and sisters, might I say that we, maybe in our churches we've spent too much time praying for those things instead of really asking God for supernatural power over our sin. Amen. Supernatural power and spiritual warfare. No wonder we experience a little victory. So how do we get it? It's just desperate prayer, brothers and sisters. It's, there's, no, there's no silver bullet up my sleeve. You know, I don't have some ten step plan that way you follow this, 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 and this. And you'll experience Just pray for it. Amen. Just get serious about praying for it. I can tell you this though, brothers and sisters. I can say this with confidence. Because I've seen it. I can say with confidence that we are on the brink of experiencing the reviving work of the Spirit of God when we refuse 
to be content with merely knowing about God and begin to get serious about actually knowing God. Knowing Him intimately, knowing Him personally, knowing Him powerfully. I have to wonder if Jesus did show up with revival. If the Spirit of God did show up to pour out His power on us, would we even know it? Would we even know it? Or would it be like me that day when Andy Griffith came to Mount Airy and I was just oblivious to it? I, I didn't get to experience Him. I heard about it, but I wasn't there to see it with my own eyes. Brothers and sisters, I don't want Jesus to show up in power and then me have to find out about it at some later time and to know that I missed it. So what do we do, friends? We give ourselves to prayer, to genuine, desperate, Spirit-filled prayer in which we call out for God to help us to stop being content with merely gathering some facts and information from the Bible about Him. But God, to help us to get serious about truly knowing Him and to knowing Him in power. Friend, don't let Jesus and His resurrection power be so near to you that you become so familiar with it and then miss out on it. Friends, let's get serious. Let's get serious tonight. Let's get serious this week. Let's get serious about what's available to us. Let's get serious about experiencing resurrection power. Let's pray together.